Good morning, and welcome to episode 354 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. This is our penultimate episode of the year. Uh, I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. How was your holiday? It's good. I'm yeah. sleepy. Sleepy? Mm. You, are, you are sleepy now? Currently, at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, well, I thought that we could do... Uh, a a baseball a, a 2013 time capsule episode. Uh, <laughs> so I have I have selected the the ten stories from this season that I think I would put in the baseball time capsule if I want to someday look back at the season and remember the the stories that were I guess in the news the most or seem the most significant. Not necessarily the stories I am most interested in. In some cases, I uh, was sick of them as soon as I heard about them. But, um, but I will, I will name my ten. And there, there are several that I think uh, that I felt bad about not including. So maybe you will, um, you will have some some ideas uh, for what I have left off and what I should not have left off. Maybe Next. I will. I actually went back and and looked at effectively wild episode titles to try to to remember what the stories were, and mostly I think they were about three men infields and <laughs> <laughs> four men outfields and baseball and ice. Those Did were... you go back and listen to uh, effectively wild intro sounds to see, if, <laughs> to see if those were useful? <laughs> no, I keep meaning I I. Meant all along to put those in a spreadsheet somewhere so I could remember what they were and not reuse them, but I never never did that. Intern. Yeah, intern. Um, uh, and I guess we should should mention since we did the podcast about Masahiro Tanaka recently that uh, that the news came out while we were on our little break that he will be posted and and teams will have thirty days to negotiate with him starting today. Uh, so right now, MLB trade rumors readers who were polled think that there is a 39.2% chance that he will be a New York Yankee. Does that sound about right to you? It does not sound about right to me, no. Lower? Much lower. Not, yeah. not I mean, I, I might say the Yankees are, are still the most likely, but... I would, I would think so. 39% seems quite high to me. It does seem high. Uh, they really. Who's your Who's your runner up? Who's your Who's Who Who gets the second highest in your in your view? Uh, gosh, I I don't know. Um, I mean, to me, it seems like they they need need him most, or they could benefit from him most because without him, I don't think they would. They certainly wouldn't be my pick as the favorite in the division. I don't even know if they would be a pick as a playoff team. Probably, probably not at the moment. Um, if they add him, then then possibly that puts them over the hump at least for a wild card pick for me, maybe. Um, but after they spent so much money on McCann and Ellsbury uh, and 
and bringing back Kuroda and Beltron and just everyone that they signed this winter, it's hard to imagine them going into the season with, I, I, I don't know, I guess David Phelps as their fourth starter, like Michael Pineda as their fifth starter. You, you know that my question was not why will the Yankees <laughs> sign him, right? I was stalling for time. <laughs> um, uh, I don't even know. I, I guess... Uh, uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, think the, the, I think the Cubs are going to end up with him. Yeah, the Cubs are are a good. Are, I guess they're a good pick. Um, I don't know the all the teams that have been mentioned as as suitors for him. Like like the the number two team on the MLB trade rumors poll results is the Dodgers, and I, I guess you would kind of put the Dodgers high on any list for free agents, but. They have a lot of starting pitchers. I, I mean, I, Josh Beckett is certainly not a someone you can count on, and and Dan Heron is not really that safe. So I, I guess I don't know, maybe maybe them, um, but the Cubs are the Cubs are a good pick. I could see that happening. Okay. Uh, all right. So okay. So. Uh, I didn't really bother to, to rank these. I don't I don't think that would mean anything. Um, so just in the order that I happen to write them down, I think uh, one of the, the top ten stories that I would put in the time capsule of this season is just uh, money, is, is TV money and free agent spending. And you, you could conceivably put the... You could conceivably put that either... In 2012 or 2014, really, because 2012 is when we found out about the new national contracts late in the year, and 2014 is kind of when they kick in. Uh, but they sort of dominated a lot of the the conversation this season. I think uh, there was a lot of anticipation of those contracts kicking in and what it would mean for free agency. And now we've maybe sort of seen what it would mean for free agency. And it means a lot more spending and, and probably breaking the record from set in 2006 of, of the most money spent on free agents. Um, and then there's been a lot of discussion about broadcast bubbles and whether this will last and whether teams that are spending now with with TV money in mind will regret it later if there's some sort of legislation that uh, that makes it possible for people to opt out of of sports channels and and decreases the revenue that teams can expect from from local TV deals, but just just uh, to the to the extent that it was mentioned uh, almost constantly, whether you're talking about transactions or the future of teams or the future of baseball, I think that that is one of my ten. Um, two of them, I think, are are teams. And conceivably could have been even more, but I, I think the Pirates have to be on the list uh, just for the fact that they won, um, which in itself kind of qualifies them. But also the, the way that they won, uh, which was was interesting. They We talked about how they did that, how they signed a lot of cast-offs from other teams and people who were sort of devalued and then... They either benefited from from fortunate bounce backs, or maybe they they did something great coaching to to turn those players back into 
productive members of society. Uh, so there was that, and there was kind of the the whole analytics angle to their turnaround. So for me, they are they are one of the ones, and I think the Red Sox probably qualify. Um, maybe the World Champions qualify in most seasons, but I think especially the Red Sox in that uh, there was a lot to to talk about with with their bounce back too, and whether we had we had put too much emphasis on on their recent struggles and overlooked the talent that was on the roster and all the discussion of, of intangibles and clubhouse chemistry and beards. Um, it was, it was tiresome at times, but, but memorable certainly. So I would put both of them on there. I would also, maybe the most controversial inclusion on my list would probably just be the shift. Um, I think that was a big story this year and probably will continue to be a big story. But the fact that uh, that shifts were used much more often, according to the, the people who track these things, um, that it was a kind of a constant thing you would hear about on broadcasts or hear hitters complaining about or the fact that it was tied to the pirate success. And I think it, it will be one of the more interesting topics of the next couple seasons because I would expect that as as more teams begin to adopt it and it seems like this winter as we talked about the the late adopters of the shift are now adopting it and hiring special coaches to implement the shift I think once it becomes pervasive we're going to see a really interesting sort of game theory uh, fight back against it with hitters bunting and Someone sent me a, a list of, of all the plays in which a hitter had bunted against the shift this year. And I don't remember how many it was, but it was, I think, probably not nearly as many as we will start seeing in the next couple of years. Um, so, the, so thing that, about, the thing about, can I just say, the yeah. thing about the bunting is that <clears throat> it's actually not that hard to defend against the bunt possibility. You just don't move your third baseman that far. Most of these, I mean, there's not a huge advantage to have your third baseman play where the shortstop is mm-hmm. as opposed to you know in on the grass um the way to beat it is if you if players can actually hit the ball into an open spot of the field uh-huh. and to me it's not established that baseball players are capable yeah of hitting a baseball within a 50 foot um zone and no. so it'll it'll be very interesting for me not because I care that much about the shift, but because I actually don't know how much capability the, the hitters have in hitting. Like, I don't know what it's like to hit. And so it would be fun for me to see in the next few years uh, if baseball players actually answer that question for us and show yes. us how hard it is to direct a baseball. Yes, that, that will be very interesting. So, uh, yeah, so the, the shift and the responses to the shift, probably one of my top 10 this year and and might continue to be one of my top 10 for a while. Um, I think, I think I have, uh, well, you have to, you have to put biogenesis on there and I'm just going to lump it into one, one spot on the list, even though it could take up more, you could put a rod in his own separate category on that list probably, but I don't want to take up too many spots with PED stuff. So, uh, I will just, I will give that one, and Ryan Braun and A-Rod and everyone else can fit into that one little box. Um, and then I think uh, replay. See, it seems silly maybe to put replay on 
now because replay is obviously going to be a, a maybe an even bigger story next year. But uh, it was it was a big story this year. It was something we talked about a lot. It was something we analyzed and we said what system we would like best and what problems we had with the system that was announced. And it just sort of represented a a major change uh, to baseball. One of the the biggest changes that we've seen lately, although it was sort of slow in coming. So that was that was one of my ten. And then I think the last. Uh, the last four are all individual players. Um, so one would be Puig. I think Puig has to be on there, not only for his performance, but for all of the all of the ridiculous discussion that surrounded his performance uh, and kept cropping up throughout the year. And I would also put Jose Fernandez on the list for his performance and for his backstory and kind of for the uh maybe what he symbolizes what we've what we've talked about throughout the year how it how it seems like prospects don't bust anymore or it seems like top prospects at least often come up and perform at a level that that seems somewhat surprising we we sort of anecdotally have mentioned that and I don't know if you saw recently Jeff Zimmerman wrote an article about uh, looking at aging curves over the last, uh, I don't know, several years or the last decade or so, sort of the the post-PED era. And his findings, which I think, you know, he he mentioned some caveats and it's sort of a smallish sample and uh, and it's always kind of controversial what method you use to determine aging curves. But what he found suggests that that the historical aging curve that we often think about that looks like a a hump that goes up and then it goes down is no longer really reflecting reality and that uh, hitters and pitchers, players just sort of come into the league and perform at their peak right away uh, and sort of plateau for a while and, and then eventually decline, which he... He posited could either have something to do with players being coached better or conditioned better and and just sort of coming into the league as more mature products or teams getting better at determining when players are ready and not promoting them until until they are ready. Um, And so that's why we're seeing that pattern possibly. But Jose Fernandez seems like maybe the best example of that trend, if it is a trend. In that he just sort of skipped the the upper minors and and was young and inexperienced inexperienced and and came in and had one of the the best rookie pitching seasons of the last few decades. Uh, so he is one of mine. Matt Harvey is is one of mine, um, both for his his phenom status and all the attention that was paid to his performance and also to the way it ended. And the, the depressing reminder that 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 is always just a, a start away, uh, no matter how well someone is pitching. And I, my last one, I sort of went back and forth on, but I I put Mike Trout on there, um, and I'm not sure whether he deserves to be on there. He he definitely deserved to be on there in 2012. To me, 2013 was in a way even more impressive in that this was sort of the year when we, 
I guess to a greater extent, we started talking about him as his potential to be the best player ever, uh, as opposed to just having the best rookie season ever or the best age whatever season. Uh, The fact that he got better when everyone figured that he was bound to regress at least slightly uh, was one of the, the more impressive and fun to follow stories of the season. And of course, you can kind of fold that into the the Trout Cabrera debate take two if you want to. Um, you could you could also be um, uh, a bit more generous and note that Miguel Cabrera also was supposed to regress and also got better, uh-huh. and uh, to some degree uh, became criticism proof this year because he was uh, much. I mean, he was better than we were giving him credit for. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody acknowledged that Cabrera was really great before and in his Triple Crown and all that. He was really great. But there was this, yeah, but, you know, I mean, Triple Crown's nonsense and, you know, his adjusted stats aren't historically great or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But his adjusted stats this year are historically great. They're, you know, in the greatest, um, you know, right-handed hitter ever kind of uh, zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... When when that uh, ESPN analytics issue or whatever it was came out early in the year, and I had a, a few topics in mind for a, a bold prediction, um, and the one I went with ultimately was was that the Orioles would finish in last place, which did not happen. Um, and the other one that I was kind of bouncing around was Miguel Cabrera will have a better season this year than he did in his in his triple crown season and probably i should have gone with that one uh there's there's probably a better better percentage chance that that would happen than that the orioles would finish in last place um or that i don't know what i said the headline on the front of the magazine said that the orioles will finish in last place my actual copy did not say quite the same thing but um but i i did think there was a significant chance that he would be better just looking at his sort of his his well his his stats other than his counting stats or the fact that he led the league in in certain arbitrarily selected stats he was not as productive a hitter in 2012 as he had been in the two seasons before that um so i wouldn't have bet on him being better just because he was going to be 30 and if you looked at a projection for him it, it was not better but there was a, a decent chance that that would happen and it did I predicted at the beginning of the year, you might remember this, that um, Cabrera would be better, Trout would be worse, and Trout would win the World Se- uh, would win the MVP. Uh, I don't remember that, but it it was part of my ten predictions about Mike Trout's season. Uh huh. <laughs> well, you got one of those three right. I did well, and actually, it was I put odds on each prediction, and so ah, okay. if the odds were less than fifty percent, I actually predicted that that would not happen technically. Uh huh. So. But I acknowledge the possibility. So I have, I have like seven honorable mentions that I just barely cut. Do you, do you have any that you want to lo- <laughs> lobby for? Uh, well, uh, first of all, did you remember that I wrote a, an entire article this year about Caleb Thielbar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that one of your top ten? <laughs> no, but I didn't remember Close. writing that, and. Um, <laughs> Every year you write a long article about an obscure middle reliever. Actually, I do too, Uh, I guess. But uh, last year it was Tommy Lane. 
it was. Uh, and Tommy Lane gets a ref, uh, a mention in the Caleb Thielbar piece. Anyway, um, I think that uh, so here's here's just what came to mind. Um, uh, I would say that uh, jumping in the pool is uh, not on its own uh-huh. one, but uh, th- this was such an insane year for unwritten rules. Yeah, I feel like this was the yeah, it's one of uh, my, my cuts. Yeah, this was the peak unwritten rules year. Mm-hmm. Um, in my memory. And, uh, uh, so I feel like baseball is, is, I don't know if it's, it's, I don't know if there's anything that comes of the unwritten rules, but it feels like it's, it's, it's escalating. It's getting amplified to a point where eventually it either cracks and all falls apart or, um, or I don't know. I don't know what happens. I don't know what the end game for the unwritten rules, um, gods are but uh this was a ridiculous year for unwritten rules um and my favorite uh i'm well i i'm stealing this from somebody else's uh work which hasn't been published yet but my favorite unwritten rule uh violation of the year was um when like the giants i don't know someone hit the giants with a pitch and it was obviously unintentional um but the guy got hurt on it like it was a totally un. I don't know. For all I know, it was a slow breaking ball and it broke his pinky finger or something like that. But it was completely unintentional, and that launched a bean beanball war because he got hurt. And that's so weird because, like the 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 the, the violation took place outside of the control of the violator. Like the mm-hmm. the, the violator did the act. It was agreed that the act was no violation. But then because of the uh, unintended result of the act, uh, the violator had to be punished. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, – so that's my favorite. There's such a wonderful inconsistency to all of these things. Like the the idea that they're making them up as they go, I, that's what I guess is that – that is actually it. That's what is notable about this year yeah. is that the idea that they're making it up as they go became completely unignorable. Uh-huh. Most of these – I mean there were dozens of made-up unwritten rules as we watched. So – uh, this I was think, a great year yeah, I think there's there's gonna be a there's gonna be some sort of breakdown in them. It's it's sort of surprising that they've lasted this long. I don't know whether maybe the fact that they were so so present this year was a response to some sort of general breakdown in them. Like the the people who who really think unwritten rules are important were reacting to other players not thinking they're important by sort of doubling down. Um, possibly, but it's, yeah, it's hard to imagine the, the fever pitch of Brian McCann and Diamondbacks and, and the pool, uh, persisting. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so my second one is, uh, extreme defense. Um, that's extreme X T R E M E just, <laughs> yes. just in case anybody's, I could tell from your this. inflection. Um, I don't know exactly what the cause of this is. Maybe you'll be able to tell me. But um, this was an incredible, incredible year for uh, for defensive performances, at least according to, to defensive yes. runs saved. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to do a little typing real quick. Uh, I wrote something about this on Unfiltered. Um, I'll see if I can find it. All right, so here's, the, uh, here's, here's basically the fun fact, though. According to defensive runs saved, this year we saw the greatest. Oh wait, I gotta. I got. Hang on. Ah, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Hang on. Still typing. 
Okay. This year we saw the greatest season ever by a shortstop mm-hmm. uh, in Angelton Simmons. We saw the greatest season ever by a right fielder in Gerardo Parra, who was a plus 41 defender. Mm-hmm. We saw the uh, the second greatest season ever by a center fielder. By just one run did Carlos mm-hmm. Gomez at plus 38 miss being the greatest ever uh, at center field. And we saw the greatest season ever by a third baseman at mm-hmm. plus 35. So four, essentially three positions set new defensive records. A fourth one um, missed the missed by just one. And we're not talking about uh, you yeah. know, first base, left field, right field. We're talking about you know some super premium positions mm-hmm. in there too. Um, yeah, so, it was, I found my post, this was from mid-September, but at the time I wrote that it was four of the top defensive runs saved seasons ever four of the top five um were were players in 2013 that's between, not true. uh it was at the time okay <laughs> i don't know if it, but simmons machado gomez and para uh, and the only other one was adam everett in 2006 at the time um I don't know if you're looking at different numbers than I am, but I, I am. But the the gist is, I like I like the way that I framed it personally. Yeah. I liked it a little bit more. <laughs> I think that the position thing gives it a little boost, and mm-hmm. yours is fine, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, when you're when we're talking about defensive runs saved numbers, we're only going back to 2003. Um, but it was it was sort of the case when you looked at <laughs> looked at any defensive metric, like even. Like fielding runs above average had had four guys over twenty runs above average, which was unusual. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know when you're when you're comparing play by play and batted ball sort of metrics to the estimated things that we have for years before that data was captured. It's it's kind of hard to compare. But but yes, it did seem like there were more extreme individual performances. Um, and I don't know whether that has to do with positioning and players just being in, in better spots before the play begins, which allows them to get to more balls, or whether it's teams prioritizing defense or better instruction or just better athletes or, or what, or just uh, kind of an outlier year. But, but yes, I agree. That was a major story. Do you remember that I also wrote an entire article about paper airplanes in baseball I do remember. and how 2013 was the year of the paper airplane yeah so that should I, be I suppose I, I suppose I should mention paper airplanes and <laughs> not go into it further but that was also a fun article mm-hmm. um uh there was a guy drafted named Tom Malone mm-hmm. and there's also a Tom Malone in in Major League Baseball <laughs> and and it always amuses me which names get duplicated like <laughs> Like Adam Eaton, there there were two Adam Eatons, and yes. that's just not a nothing nothing common about the name Adam Eaton. I've never met another Eaton, <laughs> and and I've never met another Malone spelled M I L O N E. I mean, no. that's not how you spell Malone. Mm-hmm. This would be like if there were two Bill Millers that both spelled it M U E L L E R, and I just think there's something just really weird about that. Um, you know, definitely top ten. <laughs> Time capsule. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Koji Uehara. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and uh, partly because it was, uh, to me, the, the, the most fun story of the year, the the coolest performance of the year, um, in many ways, in some ways, the most impressive non-Trout, non-Hernandez, sorry, non-Fernandez uh, performance of the year. Um, and, you know, it's just something really wonderful and something that, I, I don't know, it's, it's there, there are very few things that I root for. Mm-hmm. Uh, anymore, but I root for Uehara, you know, especially after, bef- I won't anymore, now I don't care he's, <laughs> he's got his but before last year, I was definitely rooting for Uehara, like I, I wanted to see him succeed like, I would have felt personally uh, aggrieved if he had failed um, so, but anyway, beyond that though um, there, the, have, there have been two big league Bill Millers, spelled M-U-E-L-L-E-R kidding. but did they over... William Hawk Miller, 1942 they, to 1945. No, they did not overlap. They didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with enough with enough monkeys and enough typewriters, sure. Mm-hmm. But overlapping is even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but thanks for looking it up. You're welcome. But uh, I mean, Uehara is also uh, I, I, he's you know on, on the vanguard of something, you know, something kind of crazy. This. This strike zone pounding pitcher that didn't exist mm-hmm. before five years ago. I mean, basically you had uh, Eckersley was this huge outlier in like '88 to '92, and then since then you've never really had a 70% strike pitcher. Um, you know that was pretty much the, the, the as high as anybody would go was 70, and nobody would ever really go higher. And in the last you know three four years. We've just seen this new kind of pitcher that that routinely tops seventy, goes to seventy three, even goes to seventy five percent strikes. And um, you know, you've got Uhara, you've got Mujica, who had you know, people forget, but Mujica had such success this year. I mean, could have been mm-hmm. could have been the subject of a thousand articles if he'd had um, you know three more good weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have Cliff Lee doing it as a starter. And you have uh, Sergio Santos doing it in in the second half, and you have um, uh, uh, Sean Doolittle and Jake McGee. I mean, these guys just they just throw strikes, and it's a, I mean it's a wonderful thing to to watch if you're a, you know if you're if you like statistical outliers, it's wonderful because you get these great ratios and everything. But it's also good when people complain about the aesthetics of the three true outcome um, sport that's developing. Uh, we, I think it's conceivable that this is the game theory backlash that we're seeing, um, and it's a pretty game. When when Uehara and when Jake McGee walk in, the game is very attractive. They're fun, they're pretty pitchers to watch, and um, you don't see walks. You see strikeouts for sure, um, but you don't see walks. And it's I don't know. It'll be interesting to see whether uh, whether we see in ten years whether there's an eighty percent strike pitcher. Whether there's 175 percent strike pitchers or whether this is just a blip, mm-hmm. um, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. And the last one that I would name is Scott Casimir, just mm-hmm. because um, I mean he was so he was so out. He was so 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 out of the game. Mm-hmm. There was no way that Casimir was coming back. And anytime something like this happens, it's good because then there are 200 other guys who you now have to keep track of in your head because they might come back someday too mm-hmm. <laughs> okay well i think we we hit most of the big ones i also had uh uh i had the the mariano rivera retirement run on my discard pile i didn't put it there because i don't know a player retiring 
due to, to natural causes does, does not seem like a, a top 10 story. But in terms of articles written, um, it probably was. And uh, I had the Dodgers sort of record run 42-8 and eight in 50 games was one of the more exciting stories of the season, probably. Um, I had Chris Davis on there. I had the endless Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips debate uh, and RBI versus on-base percentage, which was awful the first time we heard it, but we heard it 800 more times. And um, I was I was tempted to include the, the Jeff Baker story about the Mariners front office because that is that's something I will remember when I look back on this year. Um, but I I didn't put that. There was there. A, a split second where I panicked, not knowing what Jeff Baker of the <laughs> Rangers had done. <laughs> yeah, actually, he had a pretty interesting year. I almost I almost wrote about him once, uh, but I didn't. So he doesn't he doesn't make the top ten. But for a while there, he was having quite a season. Um, uh, okay, so. That's it for today. So we have one more show this week, one more show this year. It uh, theoretically is a listener email show. We haven't gotten a lot of listener emails this week. Uh, apparently you guys are, are spending time with your families or, or something. Um, but if you are listening to this on Thursday before we record tonight, send us some emails so that we will have something to talk about tomorrow. And uh, we'll be back then. That's a wrap.